Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Pauliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. We're continuing our discussion with Paul Quattrocasas and in this episode we're going to hear Paul's views on entrepreneurship and how you can incorporate that into the decision making in your organisation. In all of that you covered a whole lot of things that we were going to talk about anyway and just for you personally, mm-hmm. the biggest management challenge you mean in my company and how we're growing in in your career sure i think for most people it boils down to darwin's you know thesis (laughs) of not the strongest who shall survive it's the ones most adaptable to change i really believe that now having lived long enough to you know tell the tale it is absolutely the case i was just reading yesterday that in the city of London, which has for God knows how many years been been the center of finance with human beings marching down on trains and the tube to their offices, will become more of a ghost town, so to speak. And they're looking at using more of those office buildings as serviced offices, as incubators, places that can house more tech startups and so on. It's just an amazing thing, but I'm not surprised. I mean, I've been, been thinking about that for years. As we uh, as we walk down the streets of the city, or we're on a taxi, you know, a taxi or or a car, looking yeah. up, you know, you have to think how long, how much longer will these buildings need to be filled with people, mm-hmm. because so much of it can be done through software, yeah. through software robots, and so on. So the challenge is adapting to that in every industry, and for us, and we've adapted as a firm. So I mean, our firm traditionally yeah. for the last thirty years has been advising tech companies and startups on either raising capital, institutional capital, or helping them sell out, exit to typically a trade buyer. That's what we call sell side, essentially is most of the work we've done. And so we've had our own transformation and adaptation, which started well four years ago with this, uh, what we call techquisition, which is the large corporate, the incumbent non-tech company, having to adapt by not just in-house or organic, work, but by investing in or acquiring a technology company or a digital company, which, which isn't easy to do. So we've had our own challenge there and it's been like being a startup again. And so that's, you know, that's a challenge. And I think it's going to be fun now. I think that the, uh, <laughs> a lot of the hard part is over. We're not out of the woods yet because yes. still so many companies are struggling to see the mm-hmm. need to do it. it. Unfortunately, the more companies that bite the dust, the more that the surviving companies see the need to, they really do have to do something. So that's certainly benefiting our effort. We think it has to happen naturally as soon as possible. But, and the challenge also is talent. I think that young people today are so different from 20, 30 years ago and the things that they want um, are really, really different. And so we have, like every company, we have to adapt to that because young people are the future. We've been working with a company based in Dubai, called EQ Exponential, um, really interesting guys. They're a spin out of Singularity University. I really like what they're doing with some diagnostic tests of cultures of companies. I won't get into that, but I bring it up because they are offering something called Board as a Service. And they believe that it's important that every established company, midsize, so I guess at least, you know, at least a couple hundred million in revenue, should have a under 25-year-old on their board. Not just any 225-year-old, but yeah, someone yeah. who has been an entrepreneur or yeah. who is designing yeah. you know, digital systems for business. And I think it's a brilliant idea. It's very radical. And I think most companies will just reject the idea for all sorts of reasons. But there will be many companies who do it. 
And uh, I think it's a brilliant idea because business is about perspective. Life's about perspective. And the more perspective you have, the better. There, there can't be anything wrong with having more perspective. If you don't like someone else's perspective, you can always say, look, I don't agree with you or, or say no. doesn't mean you have to accept their opinion or their view. But the important thing is to have the view, is to have the perspective that you didn't otherwise have, especially when things are moving so fast today. Yeah. And I remember a, a meeting I had in Scandinavia a couple of years ago where one of the companies that's a major component supplier to the automotive industry said, you know, we haven't had much innovation in this area. I think it was braking is uh, the one thing. They, we hadn't had much innovation in braking in the last 40 years, but we've had more innovation from Tesla in the last two years than we'd had in those previous 40 years. And so that's yeah. an example of, and by the way, we hear that all the time in so many industries, if not almost every single industry that I can think of, except perhaps pharmaceutical and, and chemical industries for reasons we could talk about later, but there's just so much change going on. It's adapting to that yeah. change across the board, which is key. On our 200th episode, just a little while back, and we got our previous guests to send us their thoughts, almost mirroring what you're saying, was a fellow from New York who's very immersed in Wall Street. And his greatest concern was that there are all of these organisations who are going to do nothing. And this was their big opportunity to change and change radically. And he thought that it just wasn't going to happen. And if they didn't, they were going to be gone. Yeah, we could go to the story of Kodak. I think it's interesting because the board knew what was happening. They, they, yes. they knew from the very beginning that they had a lot of the patented technology to digital photography. They were presented with the early digital cameras. The comments that, that I hear were mentioned at the board meetings was, well, you know, that, that's really cool. But it's nothing like these beautiful photographs. Mm. that we Kodak make and, and it's not going to go anywhere anytime fast. Mm. And they literally, the board watched the share price decline in a straight line over 10 years. And they tried a few things on marketing and so on. But it's almost as if when you look back in hindsight, it's almost as if the board said to itself, you know, human beings only tend to live 85, 90, maybe a hundred years. Right. Don't you think, you know, maybe companies shouldn't live any longer either. Either uh. It's almost like they had allowed themselves to die. Yeah. Because they were reaching their 100th year or so, and they just said, well, it's time for us to die. You know, it's actually quite an interesting concept. What makes a company live and thrive and want to, to live and thrive and grow? What makes a company want to continue? And it's in the makeup. It's in the DNA that, you know, every company is different, just like every human being is different. Every company is different DNA. And some companies want to live and grow and grow and never stop growing, yes. even through different CEOs. Look at Microsoft. Who would have thought yeah. that such an Adela, who was an internal hire, yeah. right? Not from the outside. Who would have thought that he'd come in after Balmer's, I think it was about 10 years, and achieve the transformational change that he's achieved. Uh, you look at Microsoft and you think, well, this company should have died when Netscape did the IPO back in 1995. Because yes. they had nothing in the internet. I mean, Gates said, don't worry about the internet. Until mm -hmm. he said, Do every, drop everything you're doing and work <laughs> on the internet. And so you look at Microsoft and you think, gosh. It was amazing when you yes. really go back to those days in the mid nineties that yes. they turned that ship around, which was completely dependent mm. on the, uh, the operating system uh, software. They turned it around and look at Microsoft today. Yes. And that's a company you think, well, they reinvent themselves like Apple has done yes. constantly. And this is back to the point about adaptation. They're great examples of companies that have completely mm. reinvented themselves 
and adapted and have been phenomenally successful. And there are a lot of happy people in the world today because of their products and their services. And so, you know, from that argument or that perspective, you'd say, don't let company, don't let a great company die. A company should reinvent itself and change. I mean, IBM has done a similar thing, but some companies, they sell out, you know, they, for whatever reason, recognize that changing is too difficult. It's not just adapting. It's also the speed in which to adapt. Things are moving so fast that you can't think, I'll think about it and I'll digest it. I think you've got to have that brave approach and take the risk with the reward that comes at the end. It's hard to change, you know, I mean, humans, many humans won't agree to finally change their diet until they have a heart attack. Um, It's hard to change humans or companies. And it's always a decision. It's always Mm. a decision. We talk to our clients and say, look, this isn't that difficult. It's Mm. as difficult as you want it to be, but it all comes down to a decision. If you make the decision, Mm. then you will do it. In most cases, I'd say every case, you'd be Mm. pretty happy you made the decision. We saw the company Thomas Cook in the UK a couple of years ago and had some enlightened uh, individuals there, but not everyone. Problem with with that company was as as a a board and executive committee, they were overly focused on refinancing uh, their main bank facility instead of really making the changes necessary to the business model, which you know, had 500 shops that yeah. people would go into to book their flight. Again, instead of, you know, you could book everything on yeah. one tap on your phone. As a company, rather than as individuals within the company, as a company, they couldn't do it. And so they didn't make the decision Mm-hmm. to change, to transform. And now they're gone. Same with Toys R Us, same with Hertz, a lot of examples. And they can blame it on, you know, Whatever. debt put on yeah. by the private equity, but that's, yeah. that's an excuse. It's, it really is, uh, it's, it's not a legitimate reason. It was more that they didn't make the decision yes. to uh, change. And it was more that they, as a, a board and management team, were overtaken by limiting beliefs. We can't do that. We can't do this, you know, or... Yeah. I've got a question on your career front, back to, you were in mainstream finance, and then you switched to your own company and doing what you're doing now. What was the trigger for that? What was the excitement? How did you make that switch? You know, it was, uh, I don't know if anybody's asked me that before. It was back in 1993. Yes. And my boss and I were working, we had created a FCA regulated investment banking arm of a consultancy that was formed by five ex-Bain Bain partners. Yeah. Successful consultancy, doing very well, about 70, 80 yeah. uh, staff. But but we were doing deals. We, right. you know, we were doing deals that for the companies that the consulting team were working on. Mm. And we were really doing well, but it was at the time of the digital, it was called the information superhighway, if you remember yes. that. Yes. I uh, had talked about it and and Goldman had come out with their Communicopia research, and it was the beginning of seeing the merging of communications content with telecoms and and you know the digital fiber telecoms. And we saw that, and then we we had a telecoms client, and we knew that deregulation was coming in Europe with telecoms, and privatization was coming, and it just felt like the time was right yeah. to. Yeah set up our own firm in London to cover Europe, at least to start right. with, for this new thing called, you know, technology, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was emerging technology in 1993 and telecoms, mm-hmm. which was becoming privatized and deregulated. And, you know, I went to my boss and I said to him, I said, Let, let's become partners and set up our own firm. 
And uh, and he was he said, yeah, I'm with you. Let's do it. And we we did get a sponsor. So ICL Fujitsu in London was our first client and they sponsored us. They effectively said, we'll be your first client. And our employer didn't like it. So they filed an injunction <laughs> against oh. us. But look, it's, you know, we, we, uh, we negotiated an arrangement. We shared fees, I think, on that client, and it was all fine in the end. In yeah. fact, one of the one of the the, the Arkwright partners became a uh, a client of of mine and and a friend. So these things all work out. But that was the trigger. Was really uh-huh. we saw okay. with the vision that we saw this incredible event in, uh, in in Europe and and moving you know mobile phones, two G and texting. It all started, and it worked. I think it it worked better than we had expected. We didn't know what to expect, except you know, it's exciting to start your own company. Mm-hmm. But ICL Fujitsu ended up becoming a client over 10 years through three different CEOs. And we must have worked on 30 or 40 different projects around the world for, for ICL, um, which was a you know, fascinating time. But it, the lesson there is you go with your gut, you know, your instincts, very, very important. You can get all the advice and read all the books and get all the instruction. Nothing wrong with that because that informs your gut. That's how I look at it is mm-hmm. by reading and listening and including podcasts like this, getting all the learning you can, as Warren Buffett says, you know, the best education you can get ever is in yourself, learning as much as you can learn. And that tends to inform your gut when it comes to making the decisions, which are critical. And mm-hmm. everything comes down to a decision. You've got to make the decision, but that decision is informed with mm-hmm. your gut. And, and yeah. that would, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be right. No. I mean, Jeff Bezos talks a lot about that in a very mm-hmm. uh, eloquent way that, you know, you, you make the decisions and they don't need to be bets. You can have the context of an experiment, the context of an investment, and you make those decisions knowing that not everything's going to work and that's okay. And when it doesn't work out, it, does, it doesn't work out. About not ta- taking it all on the chin, not taking it personally, but, you know, yes. judgment of you as an individual. And that's one of the challenges. And it's why I like, I like being an entrepreneur and I like working with entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurs are special people and the general public tends to mainly see the headlines, which more often than not are the, the, uh, the entrepreneurs that have really made it, yeah. billionaires, et cetera. And sometimes they'll read about the entrepreneurs that have failed, but look, many, I don't want to say most, cause I don't know the precise numbers, entrepreneurs fail or they go, maybe they don't fail but they have experiences of failing and very, very hard times. And they keep a lot of it to themselves because they don't want to appear as vulnerable yes. or exposed. They yeah. want to appear strong. They're an entrepreneur yeah. and they have to lead a team and they have to hire people and they have to be always, you know, on their game and yeah. positive. And, but it doesn't mean that it's all roses no. back in the shop. No. And that's something really special about entrepreneurs as, as, as humans. They've got to be tough. And they have to, they actually have to grow their mindset. And, and I think it makes them better, stronger people for the other relationships in their lives. Not always, not always. I mean, we, we know the stories around Steve Jobs and the challenges there, but not always. But I think increasingly today where we have young people who demand more from life and they demand fairness and they demand integrity and they demand, otherwise they just leave you know, and set up their own own little uh, Facebook derivative or digital company. I think it is forcing entrepreneurs to be more human and to become better people and become tougher people. And and that's not a bad thing. But then that's also a very interesting contrast with some of the larger companies that are being led by people who have never been an entrepreneur. Now that's changing. There are more and more companies that are either recruiting 
teams or people that have been an entrepreneur or they are acquiring some companies that have been founded by someone and the entrepreneurs stay on board Mm -hmm. and they bring huge value to the larger companies. And sometimes they end up running the whole company or a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And that has a a big impact. It it is, you know, it's a new dynamic that's injected into uh, a, a, uh, an established company that's been around for years and maybe has lost a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. That's a good point for us to take a pause in our discussion with Paul. Please join us for part three of our discussion. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We're talking with Paul Quattrocasas, and this is Inside Exec. <laughs>